This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, I'm Troy Dean from WP Elevation and welcome to the WP Elevation Podcast. Today's guest all the way from Virginia in the USA is Brennan Dunn. Brennan, good evening. Hey, thank you, Troy. It is evening where you are right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's 9, 12 p.m. 9, 12. So almost back out time. Yeah, so it's 11, 12 a.m. <laughs> here in Melbourne. Um, so uh, for those of you that don't know, Brennan is uh, an author, uh, has, um, has a great software app called PlanScope, which we'll talk about in, in a little while. Uh, and uh, there's a, we, we're going to run a competition uh, during this podcast where Brennan has very, very generously um, decided to give away a seat in his uh, freelancing masterclass. I'll put a link to this under the video so you can go check it out. This is a, a two-day um, intensive uh, via Google Hangouts with Brennan and and the other members of this masterclass. It uh, normally sells for seventeen hundred ninety-seven dollars. Is that right, Brennan? Seventeen ninety-nine. Seventeen ninety-nine. So it's an eighteen hundred dollar prize Brennan is giving away uh, during this podcast. So stick around for that and learn how you can uh, enter the draw to win that, which is an awesome prize. And hopefully by the end of this uh, podcast, you'll know a little bit more about how Brennan can help you in your uh, in your consulting business. Okay, before we get into the meat uh, of, of um, consulting and, and what it means to be a consultant and how we can all improve, uh, before we start talking about that, tell me, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? So when I was a kid, I wanted nothing to do with computers. <laughs> um, actually, well, I did. So I my hobby was always computers, and I always feared that if I did it for a living, I would, you know, it would become a job instead of a, a passion. Right. So I went, to, I went to liberal arts school and studied the classics and I studied Greek and Latin and uh, read Aristotle and Plato and thought I'd be a professor or teacher wow. who happened to dabble with like Linux on the side or something. Um, but no, I actually ended up dropping out of school to go full time in a consulting. So, wow. And so when did <laughs> you really just, out. When, when, when did you discover the web? When did you, when did you fall in love with the internet? Uh, I think it would have been really sometime around high school because I, I, I discovered PHP and I was, I had a, um, I was at what's called a magnet school where they would have like a, um, a certain program that all the students would be a part of and mine was communications. So I basically got to sit in a computer lab half the day every day. And, um, you know, there's only so much, uh, like, Ultima Online and everything you can play while, uh, while in school. So I just started learning about PHP, and I kind of grew a content management system that my school used. And I learned how to loop over arrays and, you know, do things like that. And I got to see, like, wow, like, people would start uploading photos of, this is long before Facebook and everything. So people would upload photos of, like, uh, you know, school events and stuff, and knowing, like, Okay, they went to a form of mine, they clicked this, I know what code ran in the background, and just being fascinated by all that. I mean, this was, this was all, again, pre-kind of social network days, so there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, it was all me kind of going to, like, the bookstore and finding one of those, like, massive tomes of, like, learn PHP in, 20, you know, 30 yeah. days or whatever, yeah. and just kind of, like, look, reading the book and typing into the computer yep. what it says and hope hoping it works right so uh yeah i think i just want to everything was still magical back then yeah 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 sounds yeah. very familiar there, there, and there is something magical about writing code 
and then seeing someone interact with that code in a browser, it's like peeling back the curtain on something, isn't it? And looking under the hood at, at kind of what makes that magic happen and seeing yeah yeah seeing the, the the user experience in the browser is is this seamless experience but you know intimately all the little you know apostrophes and colons and curly brackets going on underneath to make it happen yeah yeah i mean one of the cool things about running a SaaS has been um i'm using a a, a service called intercom which lets me see like who's logged in at any time and it's just, it's unreal, like pulling it up and seeing like, you know, dozens of people logging in at any given time uh, using something I built from all over the world who I've never met. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Talking about uh, software as a solution, apps, SaaS apps, when did you, when did you realize that, 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 a, that building a SaaS app was something that you wanted to do and something that you wanted to devote a lot of energy to? Yeah. So I, um, I, I kind of learned about SaaS by buying it. So I, I was running a consulting firm and I, you know, ended up subscribing to Harvest and subscribing to, you know, Pivotal Tracker and all these different tools. And I didn't really think too much about the mechanisms, really. I just thought, you know, I need these tools to run my business and they're worth it. And I paid for them. Um, I think most consultants eventually get bit by the recurring revenue bug. Mm-hmm. And we all want, we want to build something that, Gives us at least predictable income. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the the phrase passive income, but predictable is something that, when you're a consultant, you typically don't have that luxury. You work on a per project basis, and you know, sure, you might cover hosting or something smallish for a client, but um, I, I really, you know, when I when I grew my company to 11 employees, um, payroll started to get pretty expensive. Mm. You know, my my monthly payroll and. All of our projects were one-offs, so I really wanted a way to, like, I kept thinking, like, these Harvest guys that I'm using, I'm paying them a hundred bucks a month. Yeah. You know, if they had a thousand people doing that, like, yeah, they they don't need to worry. Like, I, at the beginning of each month, I would wake up and say, you know, crap, I need to bring in a hundred thousand dollars to be able to make payroll. Yeah. How am I going to do it this month? Yeah. And it's stressful. I mean, it's it was so that's kind of seeing that and knowing that it was a viable. Uh, really a viable uh, way of making money, I started thinking, well, what could I build? And that's what led me to PlanScope. Awesome. So we're going we're to talk a little bit more about PlanScope in a moment um, because uh, I, I've kind of taken it for a little bit of a, a test drive, but we're going to get into more details about that uh, um, in a moment and how it's different from some of the other uh, offerings on the market. Before we do that, how yep. do you describe what you do in one sentence? When you meet people for the first time, what's your kind of elevator pitch? Depends who I meet. <laughs> I think nowadays um, it boils down to my goal is to help freelancers and consultants grow their businesses. So I provide value to consultants. Um, and I do that in, like you mentioned, through books, through workshops and plan scope and everything. So Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, what do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? these days sitting in my inbox (laughs) so a lot lot of email um i mean i jump between things so i'm trying now to really focus on um you know i I used to spend a lot of days where i'd start the day off writing code and plan scope and then i'd move over to writing a newsletter and then i'd go to email and then i'd jump into doing something else and it just it's a lot of context switching so i'm gonna i'm starting to do like you know a certain day will be plan scope day and then the next day will be email day and then the next day will be uh, writing day and um, so we'll see how long that lasts yeah but yeah, it, yeah. it's very haphazard it's very 
I, I really, I, I just brought on somebody to help me with PlanScope and to do my support. Yep. But before that, I was, you know, I developed design, market, support, PlanScope, plus my newsletter, plus my books, plus everything else. Wow. So, yeah, when, that's a lot. When do you sleep? Well, it's funny because I really don't work, like, I can't remember the last time I worked more than maybe 30 hours a week. So it's not, I don't work a lot. Wow. But I just switch a lot, right. if that makes sense. Gotcha. So I really, like, on a, when I'm not actively developing PlanScope, if I'm just kind of maintaining it, I may be doing two hours a week on PlanScope. So it's wow. not like a, it's not a lot. Mm. It's pretty on autopilot. But I mean, there's so many things I'm wanting to add and so many things I'm wanting to do otherwise that I, I tend to fill up my weeks. Sure. But it's not, I'm not doing an 80 hour, I'd kill myself if I had to do that. Great. Well, that's inspirational. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night? Um, well, I love info products in that I don't really need to worry about much. Like books aren't going to crash. Uh, but you know, with, with plan scope, I'm always kind of paranoid that, uh, you know, I, 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 again, because it's just me, if it were to go down in the middle of the night, first off, it wouldn't be the end of the world for my customers. Right. I mean, it's not like I'm running, um, an infrastructure product that is, is keeping their company alive. Sure. Um, but I'm still kind of paranoid. I mean, I knock on wood, I haven't really had any significant downtime or anything or issues, but it's always, you know, I've planned for, like, what if a hacker got in and mm. did something, right? Like, I have contingencies in place for all of that. But I've ha- that's really the only thing that, again, I really like the, the books and the workshops and everything because you don't really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't have that issue. Yeah. But running a SaaS is a different beast. Yeah. And uh, what do you do when you're not working? I spend a lot of time uh, reading and I spend a lot of time with my kids and my wife. Cool. So um, I work from home. I live in the suburbs and got a park stones throw away from our house and a uh, nice place to ride our bikes and go on runs and yep. know, just do stuff. So it's definitely I, I, I work to live, not live to work. So. Awesome. It's funny. All the entrepreneurs I speak to that have children, this, the, the first thing they say is when I say, what do you do when you're not working? They, they, they look at me. They're like, you don't have kids, do you? And I'm like, no, not yet. And they're like... <laughs> Because if you had kids, you wouldn't ask that question. You would know exactly what I'm doing when I'm not working. Just spending yeah. time with the family, and I think that's, um, so I think that's a, a real common driver for entrepreneurs as well is to build this, build this kind of business to support your lifestyle. And a lot of entrepreneurs prioritize lifestyle, and and have this business built to support the lifestyle rather than having a lifestyle that is kind of molded around the business. And it's a, a real common thread. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, again, I don't want to be on my deathbed when I'm older and looking back and saying, you know, I wish I could have worked 100 hours a week. Yeah. No one, I'm not, I'm not going to be saying that. I'm going to be saying, uh, I'm going to be looking at the mistakes I probably already have made, like missing out due to client meetings on my yeah. kids' art show at school and, you know, things like that. So. Yeah. Uh, you describe yourself as part consultant, uh, uh, one part consultant, one part counselor, and one part cheerleader, ass kicker in chief. <laughs> What is it? What so is that? that is, so that's my. So I do coaching, which is really the only kind of consulting I still do because yeah. it's still my time. Yeah. Um, and when I'm, so I, I offer consulting to, to or not coaching to consultants is what I offer, mm-hmm. which is basically the premise is I'm finding people who run uh, teams and they run it by themselves, right? So 
when I ran my team, there was no other principal but myself. Mm. And when employee issues would come up or I was nervous about payroll or anything like that, I really didn't have anyone to vent to or mm. ask advice of. So um, what I'm doing now is I'm helping people who kind of are in that position. So people who have small teams yeah. and they um, want somebody who is on a who's on their side but doesn't have equity. Yeah. So I um, yeah I've got a few people who I just basically you know, I help counsel and, yeah. and and help figure out you know goals and, and planning and everything like that. And I'm interested in how you how you, you you draw the line between cheerleader and ass kicker in chief, or like how do you, how do you walk that line between? Yeah, so I mean, you obviously want to see people succeed, but you don't. I mean, it's re- it's really easy, and I'm guilty of it all myself to just talk a lot of hype and not really do much. Mm. So part of my goal when, when coaching people is if they are um, not uh, acting to achieve the goals that we set out, um, I need to kind of be bad cops sometimes and yeah. tell them like, yeah. get their ass in line and, you know, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, people, people respect that. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, now you've got a, you've got a fairly, I just want to talk about having uh, quite a visible profile on the net. I, I've, I discovered you, I don't know, maybe three months ago. I can't remember how to be honest, but it was, it was a blog post or a tweet or something that I saw. I, you know, clicked through, discovered your, your blog, started reading your articles, joined your mailing list, um, was really impressed with the kind of content that you put out. You've obviously built, you know, a, a good profile for yourself. And I'm always interested in the decision that we make to kind of live part of our lives publicly on the internet. What, 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 how, did, how has that affected you or how do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, so it's weird because I'm I'm really the biggest introvert you'll probably ever meet. I'm not a I'm not a a life of the party by any means, and um, it's kind of funny because whenever I try to explain it to my wife or my family, they just don't, you know. And I'm not real. I'm I mean I've my following's not really that big. I mean I've got you know a, a few thousand people who hear from me every week. Yeah. Um, a few thousand people have bought something from me, which is still a good amount, you yeah. know, comparatively. Um, yeah, so it's, it's strange. I, I like it because I'm able to influence a lot of people at scale. Um, I've gotten a lot of, I have a a love letters like label and Gmail, which is just people who said like, Hey, you know, uh, because it's something you taught me, uh, you know, I know we've never met, but I just want to let you know, like you've, you've told me something that I tried and now I'm, you know, I just landed a hundred thousand dollar gig or something. Mm And, um, that's just cool to hear. I mean, you don't get the kind of, you don't get that that kind of feeling quite the same as you. I've never gotten that feeling consulting. Like I never got it that degree. I mean, I've had successful clients, but I've never had that kind of genuine like you really, without asking anything in return, you've really influenced my business, and that's been really cool to to hear things like that. So it's a, it's it's a. I mean, it, it's cool. It's it's funny like if I'm listening to a podcast and I hear my name mentioned or <laughs> I see myself in a comment, I'm like that's. Strange, like I, w- I would have never imagined that a year ago. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I've really only been doing this about a year, um, or at least publicly. I've had plans go for about two years, but yeah, yeah. It's um, and is it is it that feedback that you get from your customers that actually keeps you motivated to keep putting out good value and and, and good content? Feedback and the money. <laughs> the money's the money's the uh, influencer that keeps the lights on. Yeah. But the, yeah, I mean the feedback is great. It, it really does. In, it validates what I'm doing. It's, I'm always kind of 
when you take money from somebody in the form of selling them a product, it's always kind of, especially if it's a new product and you don't know if it's people are going to find the value that you think is in it. Mm. Um, but once you start getting like people writing in without prompt and saying, you know, I've, I've really benefited from this and it was worth, like I paid you 50, but I got thousands in return mm. in value. I mean, that makes me happy. That makes me okay with putting a price tag on what I'm doing. Because yeah. a lot of it is just things that I learned the hard way that I'm just putting, committing to paper or digital ink or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it's it, it's funny because you don't always realize what you know might not be what somebody else knows, right? And um, since I'm able to kind of make a living, uh, at least on the info side, like selling what I know, and what I've learned and hoping that it helps people avoid mistakes that I've made, it, it's it's rewarding. It really is. Mm. Cool. Um, you wrote a book called Double Your Freelance Rate. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's a big call. Uh, <laughs> so um, I kind of get like how, how difficult was it to call the book that? I, I kind of get why the book's called that. It's a, it's a great attention grabber. It certainly mm -hmm. grabbed my attention. It was something that I wanted to read. So, so I guess what I'm asking is, you know, did you have to grapple with naming it that because you you got to, you kind of got to back that up, don't you? Yeah, I mean, in theory, the way to double your rate is to charge twice as much the next time somebody asks you what you charge, right? Yeah. Um, what I really wanted to so the thing I like about the title of that book is that it's very. You can talk to you can say the title of the book to anyone and it it's obvious not only what it does but like there's constraints around it like you yeah. know it's not increase it by 10%. I mean granted that happens right like it's yeah. not like there's there's no magic sauce that'll exactly double it. I mean I've had people 10x their rate because yeah. of reading it. It's just it's it's replacing the mindset. So if I would have titled the book something like an overview of value-based pricing for freelancers and consultants. That doesn't really, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's an uh, implicit benefit in the title of that. And I've actually, I failed that on my second book. My second book is called The Blueprint. Mm. You you hear that in your, what, like construction plans or something? Yeah. So I actually, I kind of wish I, I, I should go back and rename my second book. That's the nice thing, too, about not having, like, printed books. Yeah. It, it's, it's a little easier to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's a bold book, but it um, from the fact that I've had, I can count on one hand the I offer a money back guarantee with everything I do, like, and I make it very prominent. Mm. And I've had something like three thousand sales of that book, and maybe like four or five refunds. Wow, that's great. So that's I mean, that's less than less than one percent. I imagine, I guess. That's fantastic. And I. Um, you know, I've had a lot more people writing and saying, um, and the proof is, in, I mean, the proof is in that people will read that book and then they'll go on and buy something else. So if they, that is a testimonial in itself that if somebody yeah. spent money on you and they got value in return yeah. and they're doing that again, then, you know, so. Awesome. Nice segue into uh, the software, PlanScope. How did, how did building PlanScope come about? Like at what point did you, did you, why and at what, you know, at what point did you say, okay, I need to build something here because there's something I need and I can't get it and I need to build it? So I wanted it for my team and I wanted it because I wanted a project management tool that actually gave a damn about money. And 
there's usually such a big disconnect between collaboration and project management and then invoicing. You know, you'll have like multi-week cycles between the two and mm-hmm. the client sees activity, but they don't know how that activity is influencing whatever invoice you're going to issue to them in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. So I wanted something that would kind of uh, do that. I wanted something that knew enough to know that this is where money's being spent. And I always compared it to, I actually got the idea from, I was in a taxi cab and the meter was broken, you know, at, at the front. And I was going from the airport to downtown, and the since the meter was broken, when we got when I got to my hotel, the cabbie just said, you know, that'll be like forty dollars or whatever. And it kind of pissed me off because I wanted to like when you have that meter, you can at least see like, okay, this detour is causing me, you know, this traffic jam, and you can kind of see like how the journey is influencing the cost. And I couldn't help but think like this is exactly how I think a lot of clients feel like they're in the, they're in, they're in the backseat being driven around by us mm-hmm. and they don't, and they just get the invoice and they get the total, but they don't always see, they don't see that breakdown clearly. So I wanted a tool that, um, was easy for that. Number one was easy for clients to use. I needed, my clients hated the tools we used. They liked Basecamp, but Basecamp was too like general purpose for a lot of our needs. So I wanted something clients would use. I wanted something developers would like to use um, or the people I hired, you know, mm-hmm. the people on my team. And I wanted something also that um, from me in management or for me owning the company, I wanted to know uh, where, you know, how utilized was the, the team, how profitable are we on this project and things like that, that again, most PM tools don't focus on. So it's really just a wish list of things I would have killed for running my team. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I'm using it now. I made it, basically made it my transition out of consulting. Um, because I knew that I wanted to kind of uh, build a big SaaS app eventually, and SaaS grows slowly. So you know, I'm two years into it almost, and it's just now able to pay for my executive assistant when I when I had one. Like yeah. it's not going to pay for a huge team anytime soon. But we're bootstrapped, and you know we don't have external or yeah. me. I'm bootstrapped. Yeah. There's no we, and there's no external funding or anything like that. So. Wow, great. So it's, it's the it's the classic kind of scratching your own itch product. But I made sure that I'm always reluctant to do that, you know, because you want to make sure that you're not the only one one with that itch. Yeah. So I did a lot of um, I took Amy Hoy's thirty by five hundred class. I did a lot of validation and just making sure that this wasn't a need that first off that this wasn't a need that only I had, and secondly that this was a need that w- was so powerful for a business that they're going to spend money on fixing that problem so awesome and so you're you're you so you built planscope yourself you you coded it up i built i designed it i market it i support it yeah i do literally everything on it what's it what's it built in out of curiosity uh it's ruby on rails on the back end and the front end is backbone.js awesome it's a very it's a very javascript heavy app great um what what was the marketing process like? How did you start? How did you get your first paying customers? So I had paying customers on the first day, and I did that because I had an announcement page where I was collecting emails, and I really instead of letting you see so many startups fail by having like a you know they'll have like a landing page and type in your email address to be the first to be notified, and then you put in your email address, and six months later you get an email from some thing you vaguely remember but you don't really know who they are mm. telling you hey you're sign up now and you're like who are you again 
<laughs> so I, I uh, what I did is I made it uh, my my goal, and this is kind of how eventually like my newsletter and everything came to be. Was I really kept in touch with these people and told them like not only what I was doing because I realized no one cares about me; they want to know what's in it for them. Mm. So I really focused on. Um, how what I was learning by building this could benefit them and how and I was just giving general kind of consulting tidbits of advice and again this is why my newsletter is partly where it is now it's because I realized that by keeping a list warm you know an announcement list like that warm is much better than letting it go cold and letting them I can't I get things all the time from these startups who I put in my email address I don't even remember who they are or why I cared in the first place and I delete it so yeah, there's much um, uh, there's there's much more of a relationship between the people, isn't there? Like I know when I get emails, I, I care about I care more about the the story of the people behind the yeah. product that I'm using than I actually I mean the product serves a purpose and gets me an outcome, but I have no emotional kind of relationship with the product. You know, I'm I'm much more interested in listening to Jason Fry talk about being an entrepreneur and, and being a startup. Than I am about what new feature they've added to Basecamp, you know. Well, I really, I mean, would use them as an example. I mean, Basecamp and its success is largely, I think, do more to signal versus noise than, you know, yeah. than the product itself, um, which isn't a bad thing. It's just that's how. So that actually, to to cycle back to your question, the kind of marketing I did originally outside of once it was live and in production, I did the typical startup marketing of let's buy some banner ads and throw drive traffic to the homepage. It just waste of money, right? It, it was just, there's no trust. There's no, mm. you know, they don't, you throw somebody at a, at a, at a landing page and you say, put in your credit card and start up a free trial. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really pan out too well. And that's mm. why really mm. my business, started taking off and PlanScope started taking off when I wrote my book and when I started my newsletter and when I started teaching workshops because like right now most of my PlanScope customers more than 60% of them come from um, my newsletter or my books mm -hmm. so these are really like fancy lead generation yeah. techniques I guess to to drive PlanScope sales yeah and it, it's I mean I remember when when I decided that I wanted to interview you for this podcast it was because I I was getting you weekly newsletters I really mm -hmm. liked. I, I read them. I, I when I saw your. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not some like Brennan Dunn fanboy here. But I'm telling you, when I saw you, when I see your name in my inbox, it's one of the emails that I open and read because I know that it's going to be valuable. I know mm -hmm. I'm getting to know you, and I'm getting to know what you're about. Um, I've, I've, you know, I bought the uh, the uh, W Freelancing uh, Rate book. Uh, the um, plan scope I'm taking for a test drive because I I know who you are I know that you're real I know that you aren't going to just try and fleece money out of my wallet and nick off you know uh, that yeah. that and if I have a query or a problem with something of yours that I'm using I could probably send you an email and you'll probably email me back and respond so there's trust is the the whole point is that there's trust there you know. It's it's crazy. Like it, it, the support requests I get from people who sign up for PlanScope, they almost always start with "Hey Brennan." Yeah. Like they know that I'm at the other end, and then I respond, and it says like "Sent from my iPhone." Yeah, because I'm sending it from my phone, <laughs> and it, it's just like yeah. I mean, uh, people, it's amazing. Like people rave about this support because I usually respond within about an hour. Yeah. Now I, I'm very clear. I'm saying I say, look, I usually go to bed at around this time. So if you send me something, I'm probably not going to respond until this time the yeah. next day. 
and people are cool with that and it, it's it's kind of like they know like you said they know who's they know who the man behind the curtain is and yeah. it's not like there's some like sterile company with a ticketing system that's going to handle yeah. them right and and people like that i think yeah so. cool um <clears throat> okay <clears throat> let's talk about consulting for a bit yeah so our yeah. our audience are wordpress um, consultants essentially they build websites for clients using WordPress um, WP Elevation as you know is a, a business accelerator for those WordPress consultants so I've just mm -hmm. got a series of questions here about um, uh, about elevating in your business how, how can you start to operate at a higher level and start to you know position yourself as a more kind of premium provider so right. so this is a quick little round we call let's elevate what's the okay. number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know uh, that no one is buying you for code or designs. No one cares about that. They, they only care about uh, solving whatever business problem is costing them money probably is usually the, the thing. Um, so yeah, when you step away from the tech. Beautiful. <laughs> step away from the tech. Don't talk about plugins, kids. Yeah. Uh, what's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Uh, teaching people. And I do that even now. I mean, I... Um, <laughs> The the way I built my business, my consulting firm, and brought in the six figures a month I needed, was I did a lot of free business seminars locally, yeah. and I brought in people and created a little networking group or networking yeah. event around my company, yeah. and um, created value and followed up on you know basically indebted people to me yeah. kind of by yeah. giving them a lot of value, and then no one's going to turn you down for a meeting request when they've learned a ton about you, yeah. especially when you position the meeting as hey, I just taught you a bunch on X. I want to meet with you and talk about how you're going to use this info to grow your business. Yeah. And then the natural takeaway is, well, you're a business owner. You don't have the time to do it all yourself. And plus, you're nowhere as good as me and my team. Mm. So let us do it for you. Mm. Works right. like a term. Education-based marketing, it's great positioning and it invokes the law of reciprocity, doesn't it? If you it does. give value and, and, and teach, people you know, will, will, will feel not feel obliged, but they'll reciprocate and they'll... They'll want to give something back to that. They'll want to help you. They'll exactly. want to, even if that means a referral instead of a, uh, a yep. direct contract. Yep. How do you stop competing on price? Uh, don't be a commodity. So, you know, don't sell WordPress development services. <laughs> um, you know. So, uh, yeah, basically position yourself um, as somebody who's in the business of making businesses better off. Yeah, and WordPress happens to be your way of doing that, That's but it's right. not the, you know, it's don't build your proposal on um, the HTML5 compliancy and all this other stuff that the to most clients it's just like yeah. okay, and yeah. <laughs> like, how, how is this going to put more money in my pocket? Yeah, you know? That's so, right. Yeah, hey, way, I didn't brief Brennan on this, by the way. I, I didn't like give Brennan the answers to these questions. It just oh, so happens just, that we're singing the same. It just happens my, that we're singing from the same hymn book, so you know. I say this stuff all the time, so it's it's nothing new to. <laughs> yeah. Um, any tips on writing better proposals or getting better conversions out of your proposals? Yeah. So um, I did an hour and a, hour and a half video course on this. I got a lot of tips on that. Um, identify what I call the financial upside. So what if based if 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 this project's successful, what kind of. Uh, financial win could the client potentially experience and price off of that um, I would also encourage people to start doing packaging instead of just a single like line item like here's my rate here's how many hours do the math mm. um, 
start doing different tiers because then people will compete against yourself instead of competing against you versus others. Yes. So at the end of the day, if you have like low price, high price, and they go with low price, you still win, yeah. right? So um, that's one thing. And, and secondly, reiterate the the problem, you know, throughout the proposal. Um, one of the best things I ever learned from Sean D'Souza was that just because you know that somebody has a problem, just because you know that they know that they have an issue, let's say they're losing money due to I don't know, low conversions. Um, we all know that they know that, but by identifying and, and repeating that throughout, and and w especially when explaining your solution, um, it brings to light the problem that you're solving constantly. And secondly, it, it it shows that you empathize with the customer, and you know why they're they're not cutting you a big check because they like you or like WordPress, right? They, they're cutting you a check because they. They want some outcomes. So the, yeah. the closer you are to uh, reducing the risk threshold of hiring you to achieve that outcome, the better. And the way to do that is to stop. Because here's the th here's what I've realized is that when you, if if you're saying I build websites you know, or I build WordPress websites, the client needs to kind of make a mental correlation between, okay, website could yield the business benefit that, I, that I'm looking for, right? So if they're looking for more customers and you say, I build websites, the client is going to internalize, well, there's a chance that are, the right website could yield me more customers. Um, but there's always kind of that risk filter that that needs that process needs to pass through. So when you just cut to the chase and say, here's how we're going to get you more customers, because I know you want more customers because you told me you want more customers, um, they're going to know the, the risk that you're going to get them more customers is a lot less because you know where the goal is. I mean, the goal is not the website. The goal is the more customers, right? So, I mean, still, obviously, you need to talk about the technology somewhat, but it shouldn't be the the focus. You know, the proposal title shouldn't be a WordPress-powered yeah. website or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, favorite tool favorite or system tool. for customer relationship management? So I've always been bad at that. I always kind of did it. Just knowing who my active leads were and everything, and my customers. I'm sorry, I think my dog just woke up. It's okay, that's um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've nowadays I'm actually now that I've got lots of customers, I've got thousands. I uh, I've actually just started using Infusionsoft, which uh, cool. isn't really. I wouldn't advise a typical like WordPress consultant. <clears throat> it's very full featured, very expensive. But um, for what I'm doing, it, it's worthwhile. But for just general, like managing your pipeline and, and things, uh, PipeDrive I, I like a lot. Um, yep. And there's also Stride app, which is another really good app. PipeDrive and Stride out, is it? Stride, uh, Stride, S T R I D E app. Stride app, cool. I'll yeah. stick these uh, links in the show notes under the video. Uh, what's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? So I'm biased. Uh, I think a tool called PlanScope is great for that. But um, overall, actually, I don't think it's a tool. I think it's more uh, constant communication. Yep. Um, you can't automate that. You can to a degree. Like PlanScope, I built into it something that I think is really silly, but it's something that I had to do, which is literally send the client each day a report of what got done and what they need to review. Yep. I automate that. I used to do that from scratch, and I encourage people... Just take the ten minutes and write that, because yep. it shows that the more, the more, the less it's about them throwing a list of requirements over the wall and then you throwing something back later, mm. 
and risking divergence, the more you kind of keep in touch and, and keep each other on the same wavelength, uh, the lower risk of failure. And when you fail due to uh, scope divergence or, or thought divergence, um, it looks bad on you and clients going to end up unhappy and a lot of other bad things. Yeah. So. I was talking to a bunch of WordPress consultants recently at a WordCamp about scope creep and uh, you know, everyone, everyone, everyone always complains about scope creep. Oh, the client wants to add these new features and scope creep and the client's so difficult. And I just said, if, if you're suffering scope creep, it's not your client's fault, it's your fault. Yeah. The client's not suffering scope creep, you're suffering scope creep. Yeah, and I mean, if you're billing for your time, okay, you're gonna get paid more. But if, yeah, I mean, if, it, if yeah, it's, it's a very manageable, it's just people need to, one of the things that, that I always advocated is the more you're kind of in tune with the client's business versus their project, the more you know about their goals, the more you can kind of consult with them formally and say like, so how does this new stuff get us closer to that target that you told, that we know that this project is trying to fix? Like the, um, okay, you, you, you woke up with this great new idea. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's fit it against the framework we've established and make sure that it actually you know, holds water. Um, yeah. It might be a great idea that actually moves us closer than you know than something that, than what we thought before, right? Yeah. It might be a good replacement for for existing requirements. Yeah. Uh, that that's healthy. I mean, that's good. But yeah. It could also just be a distraction, and you've got a rush of blood to the head, and you want this new feature because you've seen it somewhere else, and it might not actually get us closer. But you've got to have that conversation, don't you? Clients love it if you can say. I think this is bad a bad idea because it is going to keep you from making making money faster or whatever your goal yep. is or you know whatever yep. and here's why. Yep. I mean they they really respect that. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, any ideas for getting referrals from your existing network? So I do kind of a reverse follow-up sequence when I so once I deliver a project, I will go into my calendar and just set up like milestones. And I learned this from my realtor. Because when my realtor sold me my house, he would call every, you know, after two weeks, after a month, after three months, and just say, like, have you met your neighbors or have you had any issues with the house? And um, part of him doing this was to keep us fresh or him fresh in my mind because mm. homeowners tend to move, mm. right? Or refer <laughs> people. So um, I think the best way to do that is to proactively stay in touch with your former clients. And not just, not just kind of like empty-headed, stay in touch, but but ask them. So, the project we did, how is that? Do you have any metrics that you could share? Like, can you tell me about, um, you know, what kind of takeaways or what kind of results have you experienced because of what we did? Um, and and also, this is a great way to kind of build up a, a retainer option where you can say, well, how about we take the data you're getting and optimize it over time? Um, but that's a different story altogether. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean that, so I would go in reverse and just kind of you know, do a reverse follow-up sequence, I guess. So just consistently adding value to your existing clients. Exactly. And ask them directly, say, I would love for you to refer me to any of your business peers that you think could benefit from my services. Mm. Um, there's not always an implicit, uh, understanding from clients that you want them to tell other people about you, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it doesn't hurt to remind them that, of yeah. that you wouldn't mind them sending business your way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
And finally, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Or what's the number one thing a consultant can do to differentiate themselves? Um, I think the best thing that a consultant could do is to stop uh, really labeling themselves, like we talked about, as based on what they do. You know, their job should be to provide a surplus of value to people, to teach them. Um, my flux just went off. It's being late. <laughs> I dimmed for whatever reason. Uh, to, to teach them um, a tremendous amount, ideally at scale. And what I mean by that is um, through like a seminar or an automated email sequence or something that doesn't involve you doing this one on like one to one yep. thing. Um, so over deliver value, become, become a niche into yourself. But I don't mean, you know, people are always worried about niches because it kind of means the, 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 the thought is that if I niche myself, I can't do anything else but that niche. But what I would do is look back, look at your like former client list, see what you've done. And, you know, if you've worked with a medical client, okay, great. Your niche is you do web development for medical companies, right? And that's just one of your niches now. But you, again, it's all about the risk mitigation. So you go to a client and you have a full presentation or something on how you are awesome and you understand, like just change your terminology. So instead of saying, we're going to help you get more customers, you say, well, I'm going to help you get more patients. Because mm. that's more yep. in line with what a medical person cares about. Yeah. Um, yep. And just really tailoring your your messaging and your proposal writing and everything toward the goal of bettering businesses because businesses typically hire us and when we the more we can different the more we can step away from the commodity you know the hammering right the i i uh, wordpress is my hammer you know you know the more you get away from that and and, and focus more on uh, what kind of value and benefits you bring to your clients and, mm. and you make that the centerpiece of your business, the better. Yeah. So and it, it's, you know, it's, it, I, I just think about tradespeople all the time. I always use this metaphor about tradies. If you hire a group of tradespeople to come around your house and build a deck out in the backyard, they don't start off by telling you what brand drill and what brand power tools they exactly. have to bring and exactly. what, what yeah. model you they drive, you know. They, right. they show you work that they've done in the past. They look at your backyard and they talk about how they're going to make it an awesome living space for you and you give them the job and they come and build it. I have no idea what they use to do it. I don't right, care sell, what they, they use. Basically, they sell tomorrow for you, right? Yeah, right. right. Um, and I always, you know, I work in, in uh, typically Ruby on Rails and we have a thing called test-driven development. So, you know, automated testing and everything. And um, I see a lot of Ruby consultants who, who sell to their clients who are non-technical, like, oh, well, we... we do test first development and we have automated tests and everything and to to the, your typical client it, that doesn't mean anything to them right but it means a lot to us because we pride ourselves on it because we're good at it and we spent all this time getting good at it mm. so we want to talk about it mm. but it, it's such an easy twist where you can just put it on its head and say well we're gonna because we use a certain we we develop in such a way that lowers the total cost of ownership and to a client, they're going to say, ah, total cost of ownership. I know what that means. Mm. That means this thing is going to cost me less money in the long run. Mm. Okay, I like that. You know, And that's really all. You just need to f figure out like the not that HTML5 or responsive design or any of that stuff is bad or bad to say. Mm. Figure out why. Like responsive design, all you need to say is 
it will look awesome on iPhones, yeah. right? Yeah, like, right. you know, just figure out like what's in it for the client and, yeah. and what's, why should they care about it? Yeah. So. Awesome. Um, hey, just before we wrap up, what's the future of uh, PlanScope? What does the future hold? So, um, for my business or? Yeah. So, where do you see PlanScope in 12 months or two years time? Uh, so I'm hoping that within a, within a year that plan scope will be at three x the revenue it's at now, and I will have a full time uh, developer working with me. I'm probably always going to do marketing and support, yep, or at least be involved in all of that. Yep. But um, the development part, I could I could easily um, have somebody else assist with. Um, and also, I think I just really want to want to really fine tune everything I'm doing. Like I've done a lot of, I like to call it I'm I'm shoot, making a lot of shots in the dark. Like every time I launch a new prod, product or something, I'm still shooting in the dark, mm. but the the light in the room is getting a little brighter mm. because I have more data, I have more everything, right? And mm. and I'm able to I'm I'm acting on that. So I'm much more fine tuned now, and I'm hoping I just can continue doing that. Right, and um, what 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 do you think the future of SaaS apps looks like? The future of that whole kind of ecosystem. Where's that heading? Yeah, I mean, people always, especially with the whole like NSA Prism thing, people are always like, "Oh, no one's going to put anything in the cloud anymore," right? <laughs> I think, um, I think, especially for B two B stuff, it's it's just going to continue to improve. Um, I I can't. I think the for most companies. I think there's going to be more like private cloud stuff, but with like where you where you keep your data maybe in a place that you have more control over than the product owner's stuff, right? Um, but me as a provider, I could say I built this awesome workflow and user experience around project management. Um, right now, I'm housing all the data on my server, right? So the application server is the database server too. Like it's all in the same system. But um, I could see maybe in the future, when as privacy concerns and data ownership becomes more of an issue, um, having things where I provide the experience and the the, the shell, right, mm -hmm. and then the um, where that's housed maybe can be more up in the air. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I, I don't see the model going away anytime soon. I think. It's good for businesses because typically if you read like Joel Spolsky's uh, Camels and Rubber Ducks uh, story, he talks about how there's always been like a, a chasm between any software up to I think $1,000 and then software $50,000 and more. Mm. And the thing is, the reason is, is anything up to $1,000, I can usually buy on a company credit card without really getting authorization from yep. anyone, right? Yep. Whereas anything over that, like over the 50000 or more, that's going to involve uh, PowerPoint presentations from some salesperson who flies in to meet with your company. And there's always been that kind of middle ground, that no man's land. And um, I think what's really nice about SaaS is it allows us to um, creep into there over monthly, right? So you, you charge a company $500 a month, they're on board two years, that's 12000 or something in, in revenue. So you can get more into that ground. But I think um, one other thing I want to mention too about SaaS, and I, I see this really starting to develop more, and I, I think that 
the idea of like manual stuff with SaaS. So right now we all think of SaaS as being turnkey. You know, you sign up and you get whatever. But um, my friend Rob Walling, he uh, has a new uh, SaaS called Drip, which is an email course oh, yeah. thing. I've seen this. And one of the really brilliant things he's doing, and he did this with Hittail too, his other product, is um, you can you pay monthly for Drip, but within it, you can hire consultants to write your Drip campaigns. Right. Or within Hittail, it'll find out what keywords are best for your business that you should write articles about. Yeah. And you click one button. And a professional copywriter will write a full article on that keyboard or on that keyword yep. that you can throw into your blog. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, uh, it's like a concierge type service. Yeah. So it, it's it's not fully automated. It is, but there's like add-ons, right? Yeah. Yep. That are more labor intensive. Yeah. So I think that's you're going to probably see more of that. I think. Yeah, it's a great. It's like a curated marketplace. I heard someone. I heard that that phrase recently that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm using this, but I need some help. There's a there's a there's a there's a gap here that I need to fill. Um, I want to reach out to someone, and so I I, I and with Hittail, I've used the service. You, you you kind of order your your product, and then that goes out to a team of you know or a, a kind of a, a private curated marketplace of copywriters who would then come in and then fill that need, and it all yeah. happens within the SaaS interface. It's really good. I like it. It's a really good model because it it allows you as a business owner to get access to a whole pool of talent that you otherwise wouldn't have. And it gives the talent access to a pool of leads that are right. using the SaaS app. It's really good. It's a really good model. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, one of the one of the reasons I I'm really caught up on it is I noticed this when I sold my second book. I sold packages, so I have at the low end just the book. Yeah. At the high end, there's <clears> more like templates and ready to go things, right? Mm. And what I've realized is that on the on the one hand, you have information on the other hand you have action right mm. so the the drip model is a perfect implementation of that so you have the information which is paying for drip drip monthly mm. but you need to write your own courses still like there's still a lot of work you need to do yeah so you spend a little more and you get that info you get the the platform but you get a pro who knows drip and know can you know knows how to do this stuff amazingly mm. um, to do all that stuff for you. So it's basically if you're the busy business owner, right, you can hire uh, Drip as a consult as a consultant really for yeah. your business. Yeah. To do to pre-populate everything that needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like the, the marriage between uh, consulting and turnkey stuff is 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 really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Great. Like I thought of that for within PlanScope, like have an option to do uh, Incorporate my coaching services into PlanScope is like a higher tier or something, mm -hmm. right? Where you actually get me or someone like me coming in and like looking at your data and coming up with like how can we better optimize your business, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of room for that. Awesome. Um, all right, let's give the details for this competition and then we'll wrap up. Uh, so as I mentioned at the start of this uh, interview, Brennan is giving away a seat in his W Freelancing Rate Masterclass, which is a two-day Google Hangout intensive uh, with Brennan and the other people in that cohort, the other uh, students in that cohort. It's valued at $1,799. There's a link under this video, go and check it out. Um, so what we're gonna do is we wanna hear about the, for those of you that are, that are freelancers and have kind of got your own full-time consulting now, um, what was the kind of psychological barrier that you had to get over to get rid of your full-time job and go out as a, a freelancer? Or if you're still making that transition, what is the big, kind of psychological barrier that you've got 
in order to get over that and make the leap and, and start your own full-time consulting business and uh, kind of quit the day job, so to speak. So leave your comments under the video. Brennan will come back in a week or so and award the winner of that awesome, awesome prize, which I'm bummed that I'm disqualified and can't win that <laughs> prize because I would be entering otherwise. Um, uh, uh, last two questions, uh, three actually. What's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business? So not just consultants, right? Any anything, yeah, any, right? Any, um, yeah. It's going to sound counterintuitive, but I would say don't dream big. I would uh, start small, have realistic, small milestones, small steps. Um, you know, I started with a very half-built SaaS app, and then I built more onto that, and then I built a. I started writing a book, and then I started writing more of that book, and I, I, it snowballed, right? Mm. And when you look at something like when I just think about it's hard for me to rattle off everything I've done and it's overwhelming to me because I'm just paralyzed by that and I've, I've had people tell me like I have so much information thrown at me I don't know what to do and I get overwhelmed and I stop yeah and um, so I think the easiest thing to do is come up with something small mm. that's realistic and try to get one person you've never met to buy it from you yeah and then it's like you know light bulb moment and you just get inspired and you do that next thing and you build it bigger and so on. That's great advice. So keep it manageable. Yeah, don't think you're going to go change the world with some massive SaaS startup thing, whatever, right? Yeah. Like that's just, I mean, that's a noble goal, but it's uh, be more realistic because you can get discouraged easily. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, where can people reach out to Brennan Dunn? Uh, so the best place would be brennandunn.com. Or Brennan Dunn on Twitter is another good way to find me. Beautiful. Um, my And Planscope is planscope.io, which is where my blog is. I mean, all of my consulting articles that I've written. Cool. I'll leave those links underneath the video. And finally, who would you like me to try and interview and why? Hmm. <sighs> which, which friend do I, do I sick you on? Is the question. <laughs> uh, so one interesting guy, um, you've probably seen him around the internet recently, is Nathan Berry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's just, he. it's funny, we both kind of started this at the same time. We both started doing, he started more with the books, I started with the SaaS. He's now doing SaaS stuff. I'm uh, I'm still doing SaaS stuff, it never ends. Yeah, yeah. But um, young guy, you know, early 20s, married with a kid, and he's just, it, it's unbelievable hearing the kind of story that he's, uh, what he's done over the last um, year. Mm. I mean, he's come out of nowhere. I mean, he was, uh, yeah, uh, I remember when I first heard about him and I kind of like <laughs> did what I, I, you know, I just, okay, sounds cool, write your book, whatever. And little did I know, like he would actually keep creating amazing content and he's mm. he's been doing that. So yeah. He, yeah, you should talk to him. All right, Nathan Barry, I'm coming to get you. For those of you that don't know, he wrote a book called Authority and he's, SaaS app is called Convert What's it called? ConvertKit. ConvertKit, that's right, which is specifically written for authors who are doing book launches as a lead a lead capture email marketing kind of uh, tool, is that right? Yeah, well, no, it's more for really easy autoresponders. Right. So very easy um, they it'll generate a form that you can throw on your site and you can say fill out the form and it will send you a lead magnet like a PDF or yep. a white paper or whatever yep. but then you can also get them on a multi-day or something email course to right. follow up with them 
Cool. Um, yeah. So. Well, I'll definitely uh, hook Nathan Barry up and get him on uh, an interview, and I'll send you the link once I've done it so you can uh, come in and watch. Hey, uh, Brennan, thank you very much for spending some time with us here on the WP Elevation Podcast. As I said, we're huge fans of everything you're doing, so keep putting out great content because we love learning from you. Um, and I'll ping you uh, and get you to drop by in a week or so and have a look at the comments under the uh, video and award the winner of that lovely prize that you've donated. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks again for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. Yeah, thank you, Trey. Cheers. Thanks, Brennan.